you know, when you've got content or a conversation in your ear, guessing and questioning, and every every decision you make, every 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 you question the way everyone looks at you. You question every conversation that you have. Um, and then on the back of it being an extremely negative conversation that you're not good enough, you're never going to amount to anything, you should die. Yeah. You know, thoughts and plans and ideas of suicide from a young age, 13, 13, 14-year-old, right? Um, and the day that, that, it, that it all come to a head, I've just had enough. I just couldn't fight anymore. You know, I, I'd fought for... What is up everyone, I am Lachlan Samuel and this is the Open Up Podcast, the show where real people open up and share real stories of struggle. Welcome back to the Open Up Podcast, everyone, and to episode 45 with former NRL player, former WBF junior welterweight world champ, and now most importantly, one of the leaders in the mental health space with his book and his message about defying the enemy within, Joe Williams, my man. Thank you for doing this. Ah, my pleasure, man. That's, uh, that's always good. And, you know, you do you do podcasts. Uh, I do them a fair bit, but um, when, you, when you get someone on Skype, uh, you know, you're, you're sort of sitting and talking to someone. It just makes it a bit more personable, which is, which is uh, a bit more beneficial, I think. Yeah, man, 100%. Get to like read the face, read the emotions, <laughs> in some sort of sense. <laughs> um, most of these episodes start off with childhood, and we'll do a quick summary of that. But can you give me a quick description of yourself as a man or as a human? Yeah, I guess uh, oh, I'm someone. Like I'm uh, I, I I'm someone who who has uh, had had very very different journeys. You know, my my life has uh, has taken twists and turns, and you know, forever I thought I was going to be a rugby league player because that's all I wanted to do as a kid, and then um, you know, I went on the path of boxing, and I and you know that was that was fantastic as well, and I thought I was going to be a boxer, and you know, like pushed everything towards that. But you know, now I'm on I'm on a path that's completely different. And then, you know, with the with the work that I do around the mental health space, even that's changing. You know, it's it's yeah. evolving, and um, you know, a lot of what I've done, what a lot of what I'm doing now is very very different to how how I started out. You know, so it's. I guess that's human nature. You know, we all evolve, but you know. So, so in a nutshell, me as a person, I'm a very, very different person to what people would perceive me to be. Um, you know, I'm I'm someone who is uh, I'm a very deep thinker, um, and you know, I've always been, um, and I guess that that's played out emotionally and mentally with with a lot of the stuff that that I've gone through. So. Um, what you see is what you get, but not always what you get is is the real me, you know. Okay. Because I, because I, I'm a very very 
Uh, you know, my sister-in-law, actually, um, she sort of gave me a bit of a razz recently and she was like, you know, we've never sort of, we've never said a, sort of had a, had a decent conversation. And I was like, yeah. well, you know, like I get that, but I'm someone who is, I'm an extremely shy person. So unless, unless you talk to me, um, yeah. I may not necessarily talk to you. And that's not because I don't like you or I've got anything against you. It's it's because I'm a I, I'm naturally a shy person. Everything that you see on camera, everything that you see in public, everything that you see, uh, you know, around people and big crowds and all that sort of stuff, is very trained. Um, you know, I'm not saying I'm not saying that it's not authentic because everything I give is authentic. But for me personally, man, I. I'm I'm the sort of person who would love to sit inside his own house and 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 not go outside. Like Shit, I just man. yeah, I, I I don't do people real well. How did you overcome that barrier? Because I know like in the states especially, I think public speaking was the number one fear, like even above death. How did you get over that? Being someone so shy. Again, it's been trained into me since I was a kid. You know, like like um with 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 media and so forth and um you know i was someone who was lucky enough to be fairly gifted as a young bloke um and i made a, a junior rep side at you know 11 or 12 and um it was the first one from our sort of area the country area you know like you know how all those junior rep sides are all bigger guys from the metro teams and you know the sydney sydney bigger areas so um, here's this young Aboriginal boy from the bush who made it. Um, so, and it was, the, you know, and then I was named captain. So, um, you know, it was the first ever captain from, uh, our area, the Riverina and the first, the first ever, um, you know, the first time anyone made that junior, you know, that under 12s New South Wales side for, you know, for 20 or 30 years or something like that. So, um, there was cameras splashed in front of my face since then. And then, um, you know, I, I saw my first NRL contract scholarship at, at 13. So again, there's more, there was more cameras and then I was playing first grade footy at, at, at 13 and 14. So there was, you know, there was, uh, a lot of cameras then in, in, in my face going, you know, here's this kid who's, you know, I guess, what would you call a bit of an, an, enigma, an enigma? Um, yeah. but, um, yeah, so it's been very, very trained, okay. uh, like you know, for the for the people who know me personally, they know that that uh, I don't go outside my box a lot if I don't have to, okay. um, and that can be a, a you know a deficit at times because you know you sit your head in your phone all day and um, you know you have conversations that way, which I try and tell people not to do, but you know I'm probably the one of the worst for it. So yeah. um, that's and but that's just because of my personality as well. So. Um, you know, when people, I ha, there's days where, you know, I, I hate going on stage and I'm, and I'm, you know, a, a public speaker as, as my, you know, as my job and, and I, and I hate doing it because I just, there's days where I just hate people, not because I don't like them. It's just because I, I just struggle. Like, like I have, I have. And this is, you know, a big part of my illness. I have fairly severe paranoia. So I think that people are judging me. I think that, yeah. So I think that people, you know, are judging me with what I do, what I say. And, 
you know, if I if I'm not getting a reaction or the reaction I want or hoped out of out of a crowd or an audience when I'm speaking, then I automatically think the worst, and that you know I'm then I'm speeding my words up and I'm trying to get off there because anyway, it's a it's a never ending cycle. Like Far it's out, man, man well, I'm there's grateful you're doing it, man, because like especially <laughs> having that sort of fear and that being that sort of reserved, like you could easily just stay in your box, but the fact that you're pushing your boundaries and you know, breaking those fear barriers to bring this message to people to help them is fucking amazing. It's forever evolving, you know. Like, um, there was, there was, uh, when I was playing footy at, at, at the Rabbitohs, um, they did a documentary on us called Southside Story. Um, and, and people didn't realize at the time, but, but I would be built up with so much anxiety before a game that I would vomit. I would, I, I wouldn't be able to, like, I could hear the crowd outside, like outside the dressing sheds, and um, you know when you're walking down a tunnel, like you know, like like the I was just so overwhelmed. And there's there's a there's a scene where it's uh, on the beginning of Southside Story where it where it pans to me and I'm in the corner vomiting, um, and then you know people go ah so that's what you're talking about, and I'm like yeah well that's you know they documented it like I don't make this shit up you know like. Like, like here's me on camera, you know, on a, you know, on a ma- massive documentary, um, you know, vomiting because, man, I'd I'd hate to go out there. There were I would, I would be terrified to go out in front of a crowd, um, but then, you know, it's, and this is this is the the I guess the the benefits of playing sport when it comes to uh, mental health issues is that um, you're in the moment, so. I was I played halfback, so the ball was kicked off to me a lot, right? Yeah. So I'd be sitting there, like dry reaching, almost vomiting when the ball's in the air, ready to catch it, and the ball's coming through me, and I'm like, like this, and then I'd catch the ball and then pass it off, and it was all gone because I'm in the moment, yeah, you know. And there's so much in that, and that's that's what I talk to people about, you know, like the 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 uh, the challenge of staying in the moment when we have issues with our mental health when it when it comes to depression and anxiety. It's because we're thinking the wrong ways about things, you know. It's our interpretation, and that a lot of the time leads us down a dark path or into a path of, you know, anxiety. Yeah, well, it's nothing to snap you back into the moment like a hundred and ten kg prop runner, yeah. Man, that's uh, oh <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, for for those guys who remember me playing footy a lifetime ago, I wasn't the most uh, the most conf- confrontational type player, you know. I, <laughs> I didn't like getting dirty on the most of days, you know, the best of days. So, um, yeah, but you know, there was, and that's a lot. Of, a lot of people don't understand, and that's what I talk about now. Is that that has all? I'm someone who's who struggled with suicidal ideation from about the age of thirteen, right? Wow. Now, now, all of my sport and all of the times when I didn't want to play, all of the times when it was a little bit too hard for me, all of the times when you know, I got a knock around the head, and you start to look over your shoulder a little bit. You know, I'm I'm not afraid to say that sort of stuff. Um, that all contributed to my resilience. And then, and then, you know, when I get in the boxing ring, and and you, you get punched in the mouth a couple of times, and you, you start to see stars, and you taste your own blood, and you question yourself: Do you really want to be in here? Um, you know, that that all contributes to resilience and and builds on this mental toughness uh, or this this mental uh, resilience that we that hardens us to different situations. Yeah, well, the, I think the 
suicidality or the idealization of it is pretty much like you don't think you can cope with what you're going through. It's either that or you feel like a massive burden. So, you know, that mental toughness, proving to yourself that you can persevere through a struggle is hugely important. Well, but you don't, you don't understand. That's the thing, like you, you don't prove it to yourself until after the fact. Yeah. Because everything, when you're in the fact, is the world's hardest fight. And it doesn't matter if the last 10 times you've got through it were a thousand times harder. This one right now is the hardest thing that you're experiencing in this moment right now in your life. So, yeah. And it's, again, it's not that, um, you know, boxing or rugby league shaped that mental toughness. It's the, the tips and tools I use and pull on or, or call on to get me through those times that has made me the person I am. I think um, I wanted to ask you about that whole vomiting story, like playing for the Rabbitohs and hearing the crowd and dry retching. Could you ever be yourself in that environment? No, no, no way, no. Um, I was myself when I was on the field. Okay. I was myself when I was on the field, you know. It was um, a, a huge proportion of my life. I haven't been myself. It isn't that I haven't been authentic. I've been authentic, but I've just been a different part of my authenticness. You know, like when I was when I was based in the states, um, I I saw a specialist over there, a psych. About there was a, there was a point in time when man, I, I thought that I had schizophrenia. Wow. You know, it was like I was treated for you know I, I was living with three or four different people in my head. Um, but, but, but he, the way he, he, um, he, he contextualized it or explained it to me was that everyone has an inner critic, you know, everyone has that inner critic. It's just that mine's a little bit, you know, overwhelming at times and mine's a little bit worse than, than other people's, you know, that's not discrediting theirs because other people's inner critic is the worst thing that they go through too. So, um, you know, I, I was convinced, man. It was like I'm living with, you know, two or three, three or four different people, different personas in my head. I thought I had a split personality. I thought, you know, all, all these types of things. Um, and this is, you know, after after years again of understanding and educating myself and, and going through different therapies. But, um, you know, when I was living in America, that's what that's literally what I was talking to a doctor about. Is that that's scary, I, man. I thought I had a split personality. Well, it's not scary. It's not scary. It's only scary if you think it's scary, yeah. um, because I managed to do some pretty incredible things with it, right? So, like um, well, just my sporting career and and you know my 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 creativity and and that sort of stuff around you know uh, again around writing and around music and around you know all sorts of stuff. So, um, man, when people talk about mental illness is a negative my mental illness has taken me to some amazing places yeah right my mental illness makes up all of who i am my mental illness my mental illness wrote a book in about a month to six weeks you know my first what? manuscript right my, my first manuscript i wrote in in a month when i was living in america you know i wrote thirty thousand words forty thousand words in a month because I was on a manic high. I was on a manic high and I just went, I'd wake up in the morning, get straight on my computer and then and I'd, I'd just punch out words, everything that was in my head, I'd just punch it all out and then, 
you know, the guy who I was working with over there at the time, Kevin Hines, we'd, we'd fly around and, and hop to different um, states and different towns, right? Um, so then we'd be on a plane, I'd be nutting it out again, and then we'd go and speak at a school, then we'd be in the car, and we, you know, again, I'd, I'd, be, I'd be just riding nonstop. And then uh, I'd go home and I'd, I'd go to bed at night, and, you know, I only sleep, you know, four to five hours and a good night any night. Um, so I'd be up again riding, you know, it was. Yeah. I was riding, you know, 18 to 20 hours a day some days. I've never, ever heard anyone be so passionate about their mental illness. <laughs> it's made me who I am, man. Yeah, like, that's awesome, like, man. That's the thing. Like, pe- people see it as a negative. Um, and it wasn't that, you know, and, and, and I've got to be very careful about what I say now is because um, I was medicated for many, many years, right? And... Um, it may seem that I'm, I'm, I'm chopping and jumping all over the shop, but I was, medica- med- I was medicated for many years, yeah, for bipolar disorder, right? Uh, and which I thought was depression first and, and then, um, you know, I wasn't treating the mania and anything, all that sort of stuff. So it was, I was wrongly medicated and medicated, you know, many, many, many times. But um, I haven't been medicated for nearly three years. Wow. Um, and in that time, like... Um, I said to myself, I said, what would the old people do? As in my ancestors, you know, I'm a, I'm a First Nation uh, Wiradjuri man. Um, I said, what would our old people have done, right? If they had bipolar disorder, which they didn't because there was no mental illness in traditional times, right? But if they had bipolar disorder, what would they have done? Well, they would have exercised when they were low, which produces the natural endorphins in our head. And they would have meditated when they were high. Now, there's there's all forms of meditation, um, you know, um, Aboriginal meditation and mindfulness that's been around for thousands and thousands of years. Now it's just a buzz, right? Yeah. Um, uh, but it's been around for thousands of thousands of years with our people. And you know, I said, well, they would have exercised every day because they were walking everywhere to get their, you know, get places and get what they had to get, and they were always hunting food and they're always um, connected at, with one with the earth and um, and then uh, you know I said and they were always eating clean so and um, they meditated right so I said right maybe that's me you know I didn't I didn't go I didn't go cold turkey but um, with with uh, doctor's help I slowly reduce my medication and it took me close to 12 months to get completely off medication but um you know it was you know three years ago i started that journey and i've been you know like medication free now for a couple of years you know and and what this gets me back to my point of um you know being a tremendous asset you know i know my illness isn't a tremendous asset when i'm down in the dumps and you know i'm I'm, you know, going through some extremely tough times, but it's a massive, massive asset when I'm manic and, and you know, coming up with all of these creative ideas. Yeah. Um, it's just it's just about managing the two and, and, you know, mixing and managing who I am as a person and don't let it get out of hand all the time. It's a powerful message in itself, man. Um, with your, how you say you connected back to what your people would do, how yeah. do you implement uh, your exercise or meditation to sort of ward well, off that modern exercise, right? Modern exercise. You know, I I, I try and train most days. Um, you know, again, um, 
whilst I would love to say that I'm a marathon runner and I'm fitter than I've ever been, I'm, I'm not. Yeah. Um, it's because my head tells me that I hate exercise. My head tells me no sleep in more. My head tells me have Maccas, don't have, you know, good. Like, like I'm a normal person in that yeah. point respect, but I know that I have to pay attention to it because if, when I'm not well, you know, I usually go back to what's my diet like? What's my exercise routine like? And if they're both not there, then that's why I'm not well, right? Yeah. Again, it's about producing natural endorphins. I say to everywhere I go, the biggest way to manage depression or depressive moments is through exercise and clean eating. You know, all it's the it. rubbish that we eat and all the preservatives and, and, and sugar and crap that we eat today um, contributes so much to our, our mental health. And again, uh, going down the, the line of, of uh, education, you know, one of my closest mates, Jay Taki, she's, she's a, a colon therapist. Um, and so she talks about the link between the gut uh, and, and the, the gut and brain axis, you know, where the, the link between gut health and mental health. And, you know, once you start to clean your gut health up, that's when you, again, you, the, the properties of your mental health will start to clear up as well. So, um, man, it's forever changing. And, um, you know, the, I, I always talk about when we talk about diets, you know, the, the dude who came up with the paleo diet, you know, he's made himself squillions and squillions. But, but it's just our old people. It's our ancestors' diet. Reverting you know, back he, to what worked for centuries. <laughs> worked thousands of years. You know, like, um, but, you know, we're, we're probably not ready yet to say, well, this is the native diet, so we better give it another name, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and um, you know, uh, what nationality are you? Uh, Māori. Yeah, so you're Māori. So, so Jay, Jay is Māori, right? So she talks yeah. a lot about... Um, she talks a lot about her, you know, her old people, you know, the ancestors of how they lived and, and what they did, right? Again, when we all, native people are across the world, we all lived off the land. We all lived at one with each other. You know, native people across the world, we're like one big family. You know, it's, uh, I, I spoke at the World Indigenous Suicide Prevention Conference two years ago, and the, and the, and it's it's every two years. So, so, the, so the last one was only, you know, a couple of months ago. But the first time, I sat in that room with all different First Nation people from around the country. It clicked. It's like it's not mental illness that's killing our people worldwide. It's colonization. Exactly. 100%. You know, we're struggling to walk in two worlds. I think that's why you find like a lot of people who are dealing with any sort of struggle or trauma when they go out and they connect back to the bush or they spend time in the ocean they feel a sense of calm again because they are connected back to the earth like we're supposed to be. You know, um, people call it earthing now. Yeah. <laughs> right, man, again, that's another one that our people have been doing for thousands of years. You know, like we had to do it because we had no shoes, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, um, you know, and people don't understand that, you know, us as, as native people, we, our mother, right, Mother Earth, even as people now, where do we go when we get sick? Or when we're crying, who do we call? You know, if you're lucky enough to have your mother around, you always call your mother or your auntie or your grandmother, right? Um, that's exactly like what our Mother Earth is, you know? It's, and, and, and 
we are always taking from mother. We always, every day we walk on the ground. Uh, every day we drive our cars on the road where, you know, we're putting, we're not living these sustainable lives, right? But um, we're always taking and damaging mother. When do we ever give back? Yeah. You know, and that, that's where, you know, that's another conversation again around global warming and, and uh, you know, climate change and, uh, you know, all, all the sorts of uh, natural disasters all around the world are all happening from mining the shit out of the earth and mother just recalibrating going, you know what, I've had enough of this. Yeah. You know, that's, that's when natural disasters happen. But they won't hear it from a brown man. <laughs> <laughs> and I know you were part of that um, pipeline protest. I was over, yeah, I was over, I was over there at Standing Rock, yeah. Um, man, it was, it was something else, you know, like um, everything you saw on the news and, and I said to my, my parents, I said, I'm going to Standing Rock this weekend. And even the people I was living with over in America, they were like, be careful, you know, haven't you seen the news? Like there's, there's like massive protests and, you know, there's so much violence and anger there. And I said, you know what, I reckon I'll be all right. Yeah. Because... And I, I had no, I had no plan when I went. It was like they were like, "What do you mean you've got no plan, or you, you've got nowhere to stay? You, you don't know anyone. What are you going to do?" I was just like, "You know what? I just have trust that it'll get, it'll get sorted. You know, I'm not going to go over here, over here, and someone's not going to leave me in the lurch. You know, like First Nation people, we're family. We'll look after each other, and someone will look after me." And, and, you know, I had a big Aboriginal flag on my shirt um, and I was walking around the camp and, you know, a few thousand people uh, walking around the camp and, 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 and the elders and, and everyone was noticing my, my shirt and they were like, you're our big brother because my people, uh, Aboriginal people, were, were the, uh, you know, the oldest civilization on the planet right so all these native people like these elders and um you know people from all around the camp they were like you know we can't believe that you've come over here to support us and help us you know you're your family to us so man i was i was ushered around like a king for a few days you know it was it was beautiful because um you know i wrote a couple of articles on it as well is that um it was just it was just like one massive big ceremony of family um, you know, you never went hungry. If anyone needed anything, it was shared. Um, if you know, you know, if you if you didn't have dinner that night, then you know there was there was ten different campsites that would provide you with something to eat. You know, it's like it was absolutely nothing like it was being portrayed in the media. You know, it was the it was one of the most beautiful beautiful uh, moments that I've ever had, and. And I met people there that I'm still close with, that I still still keep in contact with. So, no, nah, mate, it's it's like 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 they said, you know, it's humbling and it's uh, you know it's family on the other side of the world. Um, I think I want to go back to you being this super talented kid, like going into rep footy and then getting a contract or scholarship super early in your career how did you manage the pressure of being someone so talented obviously you would have had so many expectations on you 
Yeah, probably it probably all happened a little bit too easy. Um, and, and the expectation come from me. It wasn't expectation oh, well. from others. It was expectation from me. You know, I when I got to Sydney, I was playing in the under 18s, and I thought that I'd go straight into you know higher grades and. Um, so the expectation was from me. So I was always getting let down by my own expectations, not by everyone else's expectations. Um, and like I said, it, how it got there, it probably come too easy. You know, like there was, there were times where I was selected for a New South Wales side, like a state side that kids trial for their school team, then trial for their district team, then trial for their regional team, which then go to a national, uh, you know, a state car- carnival to trial for the state team. I got injured all I had to do was write a letter to be picked. What? Well, I, yeah, like, like, like these little things like that. Again, everything just came too easy to me, and 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 that's why I, I'm even with my kids now. You know, like my my oldest boy, he you know he shows a bit of ability when it comes to he's a, he plays at AFL, plays Aussie rules, so. I said, man, you got to work hard. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter how you know how many rep teams you pick for, or you got to you got to work your backside off because there were guys that I played with in the NRL that that I was more talented than, but they worked harder than me. Yeah. So they had the longer careers. They they were the first ones picked, right? Because again, you know, I expected things because I was a talented kid. I was, I was a talented kid, man, and. And if I needed something to do on the field, I could do it, you know. Like, um, so there was a negative to that, right? There was a negative that that um, you know there was an expectation because I was talented. But then you get down there and these coaches like, well, we don't give a shit how talented you are. You don't work hard, you don't get picked. Simple, you know. I was like, whoa, this, what's this, you know? Um, so if I had my time again, you know, I just worked my backside off, and I, I didn't, I didn't learn how to work hard and train hard until I started playing boxing. Playing, you don't really play boxing, but um, <laughs> until I started boxing, um, yeah, you can't because, fake that, man. <laughs> well, on a footy field, you have got twelve other guys around you where you can hide, right? In a, in a boxing ring, if you haven't done the work, and um, you know, so on the footy field, I was, I was talented enough to get out of a, a tough situation with some footwork or with a, you know, a nice pass or something like that, right? Um, but in the ring, so much of it comes to technique and strategy and the first thing that goes in a boxing ring is your lungs, right? You get tired before anything. Yeah. So um, I, I, before anything, I had to work hard um, because I was, every time I got in the ring, I, you know, as a professional boxer, you what happens majority of the time is that you you box as an amateur first and then you go over to the pros. And, and you know, I didn't have any amateur fights and I just went straight into the pros. So every time I got in the ring with someone, no matter if they were better than me or, 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 or not better than me, they had more experience than me. So they knew their way around the ring and, and nerves didn't play a part because they'd been doing it for so long. And um, they were, they were you know, they'd sparred, you know, 100 rounds and, you know, the the more the deeper we're in my boxing career, you know, these guys have you know been boxing since kids and and you know had you know twenty or thirty fights and uh, you know again and then as as a pro, you know, you know fifteen fifteen of or so fights and then as an amateur, you know thirty or forty fights and 
Um, so every time I, I got in the ring, I was always behind the eight ball when it comes to experience. Yeah. Um, where a situation had happened and these guys I was fighting against, they've been through it 20 times. So they knew how to get out of it. Where so for me, it was, to work hard? it was new. I, I just had to work hard. So I, I, I made it my thing that when I was boxing, that anyone who got in the ring with me, I was fitter than. And um, I, I had to do that. And I had to learn how to do that because it's nothing I ever did as a rugby league player. Now, now if I had my time again, I should have boxed before I played football. Yeah. <laughs> boxing taught me how to train hard. Boxing taught me how to be mentally tough. Boxing taught me how to be resilient in tough times. Rugby league, it all came too easy. Yeah. You know, so, you, sorry, how did you, like, obviously being this kid who was so talented, wanted to be a rugby league player your whole life, how did you go with relinquishing that identity as the rugby league player when you ended that? You know, there was some ego involved. Uh, and then, you know, if I'm honest, it was, it was when I, uh, and I'm just writing an article about it now, actually. Um, it was when I, I give up the drink. Yeah. So, you know, as we, as we know or may not know or, or have our heads in the sand, we know that rugby league professional sport has a, a culture that's fairly, you know, heavy around, you know, partying and so forth. And, and, and I was that guy, you know, um, once I realized that I had an issue with, with alcohol and drugs, I, I short story, I, I, I gave it all up, um, you know, got some, got some help with doing that. And it was when I wasn't partying, I, I realized that in the last couple of years of my rugby league career, I had absolutely nothing in common with the guys that I was playing footy with. Yeah. You know, as, I, as I've told you, all my life, I've been this really introverted person, or I don't like—I don't like being that, you know, that extrovert who's out in the out in the public eye, and you know, I hate like uh, public attention. Again, with the paranoia, I'm, when someone's coming up to ask me for a photo or an autograph when I was playing the NRL, I was paranoid that they had, you know, something against me, or I was doing something wrong, and um, so it was it was really tricky. Once I once I got rid of all the substance, I had to deal with this. You know, I had, to, I had to deal with all that paranoia. I had to deal with the noise that was speaking to me in a negative way, telling me to end my life, you know, all of these sort of things. So, I, And I realized that I didn't have anything in common with the boys. The only thing I had in common with my teammates was football and partying. Now, I wasn't partying anymore, and I was, wasn't enjoying my footy anymore. So, um, And it was my choice at the end of 2008 season after, you know, it was a pretty poor season. It was... Oh, Again, I was just going through the motions and, you know, I, I was having a, a massive problem with prescription pills and um, because I was just so mentally cooked, yeah. um, I was trying to put myself out of it all the time and I just hated football. I hated being let down all the time. Um, but again, you know, I wasn't looking in the mirror. I wasn't the one working hard. So yeah. um, I, I take full responsibility for, for every setback that I've had in playing rugby league because it wasn't me that was working hard step to change hey is accepting the responsibility in anything um responsible and 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 you lo- i think you learn responsibility people think that that it's an expectation now I, i'm a parent to five kids right now um so my life again with bipolar disorder and ups and downs of professional sport you know i was married uh, separated, repartnered, uh, had another, so married with two children, uh, separated, 
uh, repartnered another child, separated, repartnered again, another two children, right? So four, I've got five, five kids uh, to three relationships. Um, not ideal, but the Brady Bunch wasn't just a movie, man. You know, we make it work. <laughs> um, the first two children, I was getting clean and sober. Okay. So my, my oldest boy, I, I wasn't a great father too because I was always out partying, you know, drinking ridiculous amounts, copious amounts of drugs. The second one, it was, you know, I was I was a mess because I, I, that, that's when I was getting clean and I was clearing everything up. Um, you know, then I had the marriage breakdown and separation, repartnered again, and I just wasn't, I wasn't in a great place. You know, um, you know, she, I was, I was we're playing foot, I was playing footy over in France, um, and just one of those things, you know, like uh, things weren't fantastic in the relationship, and she was pregnant, she wanted to come home, and came home, and I was living in a place where I didn't particularly like, and you know, it was just one of those things. It was again, try being an introvert in a town where you know absolutely no one, and you don't want to go anywhere. Um, so I was. Language. Well, that was that was even when I come back to Australia. Oh, I was living oh, okay. in a place where where I, I hated because I didn't know anyone. I didn't I didn't like anyone. I didn't like myself. Um, and then that that relationship broke down, and then you know my suicide attempt, and um, you know, and then um, you know things got back on track with with you know I'm lucky enough to to meet the girl who I'm with now, and um, you know things are. On a much better path, mate. Brilliant. So it's it's been ups and downs and 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 all around the place. Um, but even as a dad, you know, I could never be left alone with my kids. Well, wow. and it wasn't and it wasn't because and I've only just I've only just this is the first time I'm actually saying this publicly, um, because I didn't know it. I didn't realise, right? So I would make every excuse up in the world to the mothers of my children that I couldn't have my kids by myself, not because I didn't like my kids, but because I didn't like the dad that I was. I didn't like me as a father. But it's been years and I'm thankful now that, you know, and this isn't by choice again because I'll try and manipulate my way out of it uh, again because of that, you know, those, those demons that always creep up. Um, but now my partner, she, you know, she, she works and I've got to stay at home for the kids where I'm on the road, you know, 300 days a year. Um, I've got to stay at home with the kids while she's at work now. Uh, so I've got no choice, but to be a dad and, you know, to be, um, a dad to a four year old little boy and a one year old little baby, you know, so a little baby girl and. I, I'm learning how to do that, you know, and I, like I said, I, I didn't realize till recently is that it wasn't that I was a poor dad. It was just that I didn't like the dad who I was and I had to work on that. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm continually growing and, um, you know, my kids and I, um, you know, the, the oldest two, we, we probably don't have, uh, the world's best relationship, you know, they love their dad. Don't get me wrong. They love their dad. And, and, and I love them more than anything in the whole entire world. Um, it's just that, 
there's you know there's probably a little bit that we've got to get through and work through as as you know, continuously as 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 broken families do. Uh, my my middle child, um, he he lives with his mum here here in Dubbo where I live, um, and you know it's it's good because we're starting to get a better relationship now. And again, that's just through spending more time with each other. Um, where the relationship wasn't fantastic because, well, it's again it's 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 my work or lack of, yeah. you know. So um, it's easy to point the finger at everyone else, but. When you start pointing the finger at yourself and you actually start to do the work on yourself, um, that's when you become better as a person, I think, and that's when we grow. Exactly. And when you're self-aware and honest with yourself, you can unearth some shit that you've buried for years and decades, man. Man, you said one word. The, The key to it is honesty because we lie to ourselves every day of the week. Well, I don't know about you, but I do. Yep. Like we, we lie to ourselves out of out of fear and out of uh, dealing with factual stuff. You know, like, I wasn't a good dad. Who does that reflect on? Me. Holy shit, what have I got to do? You know, like, how do I work on that? Um, you know, and there's there's different different reasons as to why that is. But, and again, it's, a, it's an ongoing process that, that I'm, I'm I'm committed to now to to continue to work on. I'm I'm not perfect. Yeah. I'm not perfect as a dad, um, and I've probably been one of those dads that try and play it a little bit perfect, you know, for the world to see. Um, but I've I've been a little bit honest with myself lately, and and it's not that I was wasn't. It's not that I was bad as a dad. It's that that I could do better. Yeah, that's awesome, man. That's super powerful. Have you forgiven yourself for like being the dad or not quite the dad you wanted to be to your oldest two? Say that again, sorry? Have you forgiven yourself for not being the dad you wanted to be to your nah. older two? No, nah, if I'm honest, no. Nah. Um, nah. Uh, and and you know that again that's that's Good an goodness. ongoing yeah, it is it is. Um, because you know, the oldest boy's an old. The oldest is a boy. You know, he's fourteen, and um, he's had to. He's been forced to grow up okay. uh, and be the man of the house. You know, um, and then there's uh, my daughter, who's the second one, um, the second oldest. Uh, she's a feisty thing, and and she tells me how it is. Yeah. You know, um, and you know, we had words recently. Um, and the thing that was most upsetting about it, not wasn't what she said, but the what thing that what she said was the truth. Yeah. That's what hit the hardest the most. You know, um, my boy said, are you all right, Dad? You know, she said she, she said not so great things. Um, and I said, man, I can't, I can't blame her because it's the truth. You know, and um, again, it's, you know, that, all my five kids are brilliant, brilliant young people that, you know, as, as all, as all parents say, and they're all very different, all very, very different, um, kids, which is, which is great. You know, I've got a, I've got a, I've got an older, older boy who's very, very emotionally intelligent. Um, you know, he handles his feelings well and, you know, he's, he's an actor and a sports person as well. So, um, and then, my daughter, um, you know, she's an actor as well, and 
you know, she's she's probably a little bit harder to handle. She's well, not hard to handle. She's just feisty. She's just feisty. She's just navigating her way through life as a young sort of pre-teenager. Um, and then, you know, my, my three youngest ones, again, they're all very, very different, all very different kids. So it's, I think they're, uh, they're tests for me to, to continue to grow as a person because if you're all the same, then we get stuck in educating the same behaviors, right? I think the most powerful thing about that or that, um, what you said about your daughter having words with you is the fact that. I don't know if it actually happened in real life, but you didn't. It sounds like you didn't get defensive and immediately try to protect yourself out of ego. You just took it on the chin, and I think when you can accept criticism and not be defensive and not retort back with some hurtful words or actions, then that's where you find true growth. And that's honesty, isn't it? Yeah. You know, it's you know if somebody. And I'm the sort of person is that, and this has come with growth as a person, as an individual, um, but I'm the sort of person when somebody has a negative thing to say or do about me, then I respect what they say, just sometimes I just don't agree with it. I very rarely will fight back and try and prove that I'm not that Yeah. Um, because that gets nowhere. You know, I... I'm the sort of, you know, and, and in that and in that moment, in that conversation, I said, you know what, you're right. You're right. So, you know, I, ha- I had to wear it. That's I had to wear man. it on the chin. Well, it's not brave. It's the right thing, right? It's, yeah, uh, most people and, couldn't do that, man. And that's where we've got to get better as people, <laughs> right? And and we, so many people talk to me about my, about my speaking, about what I do with my mental health. They're like, you know what, that's so brave. I'm like, no, it's not brave. We just got to do that. No, it's, everyone's got to be like that. They're just emotions. We just got to connect to them and talk about them. Simple. Yeah. You know, it's it's obviously not a simple process, but um, but we got to get to that point. And if we're being honest, and and when we stuff up, admit it. You know, get checked on it. Um, that's when we grow as people. You know, and and that's when the person who's checking us can then look at it and go. Well, you know what? You know he he's admitted he stuffed up there. So, um, you know, I don't know. There's growth in it for everyone, I guess. That's powerful, man. I think when I go back to you mentioned, um, fleetingly your attempt at suicide. Do you want to walk us through that, and then I guess I'll ask you some quick questions on to Make sure I'm respectful of your time. No, nah, that's right, man. Um. You know, when you've got content or a conversation in your ear, guessing and questioning, and every every decision you make, every every, every you question the way everyone looks at you, you question every conversation that you have, um, and then on the back of it being an extremely negative conversation that you're not good enough, you're never going to amount to anything, you should die. You know, thoughts and plans and ideas of suicide from a young age, 13, 13, 14 year old, right? Um, and the day that that it that it all come to a head, I've just had enough. I just couldn't fight anymore. You know, I I'd fought for 15, 20 years, and I just couldn't do it anymore. Um, now, 
you know, there were, there, there were there were many times and many tough times that I've gotten out of that I did grip on and 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 dig in and fight through those tough times. But this 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 one day, a particular day, I just I just felt I couldn't, you know. And um, everything inside my head was telling me that I had to die. It's not that I wanted to die. It's just that everything inside my head was telling me I had to. So I didn't see it as a choice. Um, and people talk about why, why, did you, why did you try and end your life? Why did you want to die? And I'm like, I, I didn't want to die, man. I didn't want to die, but I thought the only logical thing that I could do to make it all go away was to end, the, end my life. The only way I could make the pain go away was to end it all. Because you are so... It's so common. Talks about as well, hey. It's so common, man. Is that um, it's so common that that in 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 all the people that I've talked to in 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 surviving suicide, it's the same common thread. You, you don't want to die. You just you feel that the the only way to end the pain is to is to not be here anymore, um, because you, you can't see the light at the end of the tunnel, you know, and 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 seeing five years ahead or even five days ahead is too painful. You just can't see it. Um, so, you know, and again, I, you know, I was sitting on the shower, the shower floor, more or less flipping a coin in my head, thinking that I had to die. Like thinking, should I do it? Should I not? If I, if I flipped the coin a hundred times in my head that day and it landed on, don't do it 99 times. You'd only had it land on yes once for me to be convinced that I didn't belong here anymore. And it was like assurance. You know, like every time I'd say, no, don't do it, they'd come back, yes, you've got to do it. Yes, you don't deserve to be here. Yes, you're, you know, you're, you're, you're a burden to everyone. Um, you know, if you, ever, if you have the thought of, I've got to pick up and call mum. No, don't call mum. Mum's going to judge you. Mum's doesn't, you know, she doesn't understand. Why would you tell her? Like, like, like you're to and fro with your own head. You're having a conversation with your own head. Um, and I, I literally made my mind up, and I got out of the shower, and and I and and I wrote letters to my kids, you know, apologising that again that, that that remorse right apologizing that for everything that happened apologizing that i couldn't be the dad that i promised them i'd be apologizing that i'd never get to see my daughter walk down the aisle you know all the remorse of what you want to do in your life if you ever need me just look up you know and and i and and, and the, one of the important important things i talk about when i speak is that I, I folded my suicide note. I moved my telephone out of the road to put it down. When we're talking about wanting people to reach for help, that is an important, an important point because I moved my phone out of the road. I couldn't pick it up to call anyone. If there was 100, 500 phone numbers in my phone, I couldn't even pick it up to call anyone. Yeah, we'll be scared someone's going to judge you, man. Hundred percent, right? So I moved it out of the road to put my note down, and I had an overdose that should have killed me. No, I laid back on the bed to think that I'd never wake up. And for me, it wasn't about whether I did the right thing or not, because I was content with what I did. Because in that moment, 
people ask me, what about your kids? Didn't you think of your kids? Yeah, I thought of my kids. But I thought my kids hated me. What about your parents? Didn't you think of you think of your mum? Your dad? Yeah, I thought of them. But I thought they didn't care. Because that's what my head was telling me. So when they talk about selfishness of suicide, this is an important point, right? When they talk about people are so selfish when they end their own life because they take their own pain away, but they push their pain onto other people, all right? From someone who's been there, who's danced with the devil, who's danced with death, the only thought that's in your mind is that you're doing everyone a favor. So you're trying to do the right thing by them. You're not, you're not being selfish because being selfish should be only thinking about yourself where all you do is thinking about everyone else. Yeah, It's not until you survive that and you see how much pain you cause people. And you how see much reality. Pain. You see reality, right? Um, and again, like, like I talk about how, how depression is like a cloud in front of our face. It just, it just blindfolds you. It just, not that you can't see, it actually... Not that you can't see physically or emotionally or mentally, it robs you. It robs you of everything that is that is true. Reality. It robs you of reality. It does, man. And you can get stuck in that by yourself. And then if you're someone who's as reserved as you are, it just gets worse and worse. Well, here's the thing. This is what, what people don't understand is that when we're having these tough times, it sits inside our head. And when it sits inside our head, it just goes spirals around and gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Then we turn to substance. You know, I really thought about it recently. Alcohol and drugs are depressants. Yep. So why do we use alcohol and drugs when we're depressed? Like, like, like we're expecting it to help us. You know, again, that's how clouded the mind gets. Again, it robs you of reality, of anything. Like like the most logical thing, exercise and diet. Eat well, exercise, go and talk to people. Do you think you can talk about that? you think about that? No way. It robs you. Yeah, exactly, man. Um, well, I know that firsthand and like this, you're talking about you had that phone right there, but you moved it out of the way and not being able to call someone because you thought people would judge you. That's why it's so important now, and that's why I love the work of like people like you and Kev and Are You Okay, trying to get these conversations out there. Because I had a breakdown while I was doing FIFO, man, and one of the guys who helped me or stopped me from attempting a second time, um, as soon as I left that site, I didn't speak to him for about six months. Now he was one of the most smiley, outgoing dudes I knew, and a couple months ago he took his life, bro. Mm. Yeah, you know, um, I, I did a podcast recently with um, Heart on My Sleeve. You heard of those guys? Yep. Yeah, they're awesome. And 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 one of the um, one of the quotes that he that he that he, he took as a grab um, for social media, and it's it's I say it everywhere I go is that um, we wait for people to tell us that they're not well. Now, living the, with the tremendous work that they do, um, their slogans, it ain't weak to speak. No, it's, it, you know, it's, it's not weak to speak, no. But it is the hardest thing that you could ever think of and do when you're in those tough times. So 
other people who sit back and go, I didn't notice it. I, I, I didn't. I didn't even know that they were doing a tough. Well, if, we don't know because we're not paying attention. Right, we don't know because we're not paying attention. Now, there was a fairly uh, prominent person who took their life recently, um, and I won't say the name. But you know, looking back over the social media posts, it was all there. It was all there. The, you know, and 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 you know, people might say it was it was um, you know. There was mysterious messaging, yeah. but it was all there. You know, every single person who ends their life, suicide prevention starts in our family homes. You don't start with the people who get millions of dollars to research about it. It starts in our family homes. When your wife or your husband or your son or your daughter, or your mother, or your father, or your brother, or your sister, when they're not having a good day, we know exactly. and we think and we judge them. We judge them straight away instead of going, what's up, man? Is everything all right? No, no, no. You're not okay. I, I can see that you're not because I see your behaviors and your behaviors have been like this for a week. So let's talk about it. Right, it starts in our our footy clubs. We all go to we all go to we all go to football training. We all go to netball training, and you know, especially with guys, oh, what's going on, in life, but you know, like yeah. we judge, 100%. we judge straight away. Especially in FIFO, because I, I spent the best part of a decade doing FIFO, and especially with that group, they become your family, man. If you're yep. starting to get a little bit emotional, or you're out of sorts. It's very much a like laugh point at you and like, what's wrong with you, man? Come on, get it together. And so you yeah. just fucking go into your shell even more. Yeah, 100%, right? And that's where we're going wrong. That's where we're going wrong. So so that, that little snippet or that, that, that grab that, that I spoke about that was used in that podcast, it was about let's, let's pay attention to behaviors. Yeah. You know, let's, let's start to have a look at people. Let's start to have a listen to people's words. What are they meaning by those words? How are they saying those words? What are their mannerisms, mannerisms when they're saying those words? Um, you know, are they turning up late to different things? What, you know, are they, are they not answering their phone? Are they not replying to texts? Like, like pay attention to that. You know, I, I, I can tell through somebody's messaging in a text message when they're not well. Why? Because I'm clued onto it. Because I, yeah, because I deal with it, you know, a lot, during, you know, every day. But, but I pay attention. Yeah, because you care. That's a massive oh, man. man. Is caring. You know what I care about? What I care about the most is that people don't experience what I have. Yeah. Because, because you don't have to. Exactly, man. Exactly, right. Now, now this is where I get a lot of people offside. Right? Is that? Um, People who struggle with depression and anxiety don't necessarily have a choice that they are doing that. But if they are struggling or suffering over an extended period of time, that is a choice. And people question me, what do you mean it's a choice? 
If you're doing it hard or you're not, what do you mean is a choice? Well, it's exactly in what I said, right? If you're doing it hard, if you're struggling over a certain period of time, it means you're not paying attention enough to your wellness. It means you're not doing the things that will make you well. It means you're having shit toxic relationships. It means you're not exercising. It means you're you're going out and you're having benders. Man, don't don't sit here and tell me that you're struggling with depression if you're still out partying all weekend. Right? Let's start to make some choices to clean your life up. That's exactly it, man. And I, I don't think you should worry about getting anyone offside with that. That's the truth. I don't worry about them because at the end of the day, it's the truth. And the ones who are getting offside about it are the ones who aren't doing the work. Yeah. Yeah. Right? So, so it, 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 it reflects on them. Oh, what do you mean I'm making a choice in it? Well, if you're not doing anything about it, then you're making a choice. Yeah. I know when I skip my meditation or my morning flow, my morning routine, I start feeling depressed, man, 100%. Yeah. And as yeah. soon as I go back to that, as soon as I go back to what I know what works, it's gone. Well, it, if you know it works, why get away from it? Like, like that's, how, that's how deluded yeah. we are as, as humans sometimes. We're like, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do X, Y, Z because that works for me, but I might just throw in an ABC to see if it's different. Well, <laughs> right? Yeah. And then we go, oh, how did I get here? Like, man, it's because you're not paying attention, right? That's it, man. So, you know, wellness is an easy thing, but it takes work. Yeah. That's all. And 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 if you're some... Oh, lost your brother. You got me again? Yep. <laughs> Sorry, what were you saying? Wellness I said is, uh... wellness, wellness, wellness is an easy thing to do, right? But it just takes work. So, so if you're not working at it, then who's at fault? You Have are. Have you um, forgiven yourself for that attempt? Um, have I forgiven myself? I see. This is this brings you to another good conversation. Um, regret. Yeah. Right. Do you have regret over trying to attempt your life? No, I don't. Do you have regret over leaving a fantastic contract and, um, you know, living over in the other side of the world in France, you know, potentially going to have a great life over there? Do you regret doing that? Do you regret leaving, you know, you know children behind in relationships? And here's the thing, I, I, I don't have any regrets. In my whole life, not because I'm selfish and think that I did the, everything the right way, but I'll tell you how I think about it. Anything that you regret in your entire life, do you have regrets? Me? Yeah. Um, no, I think I've worked through everything in the last six months, man. It's been a hard so six I wanna, months. I want to tell, tell you a tip, right? I want to tell you something. Is that anyone who deals with regrets, this is what I speak to them about, all right? Is that think about it. If you regret something, you're regretting something or a choice or a decision you made in the past. If you go back to that moment when you make that decision to turn left or right or to move home to Australia or to to leave a relationship, if you go back to that exact moment where you made that decision, it was everything that you wanted. It was 100% 
the decision and choice you wanted to do. So you can't regret it because it's everything that you wanted. Right now, how do we regret things that we 100% want? Right? It, it just doesn't make sense. So now the outcome mightn't be fantastic, but here's what we have to do. We have to learn from those outcomes. Now, some of the outcomes may have negative situations come from it, so that's when we have to work through it. Yeah. You know, we have to, we have to you know, do the work, do the therapy, do whatever it is, do the work to make it right. Yeah. You know, and... I feel like if, if you're in a position where you're doing something like what you're doing, where you're really providing value to people and changing people's lives and making them better, if you're working towards getting better yourself, then you can always look back at something that you regret and forgive yourself for it because you know it's made you the person you are now, but it's also propelling you on to help people down the track. Yeah. My, my suicide attempt, you know, you, you talked about that. My suicide attempt was the hardest day I've ever been through in my entire life, without doubt. The hardest, most emotional, mentally challenging day I've ever been through in my entire life. Yet it's given me the biggest rewards. So how again? How can I regret any of that? It's given you know, me it's, this message, man. It's given me this message. It's put me on this path. You know what? I talk about our ancestors a lot, the old people. You know, the old people put me on this path. The old people kept me alive that day. So they didn't say, right, you thought you were going to be a rugby league player forever. Now we're going to, we're going to turn you into a boxer. Now you think you go all right at boxing? I'm going to put this little thing called a suicide attempt in there where you're going through these massive mental challenges just so you can be put on the right path. Because you're not in charge, Joe. We are. Yeah. You know, I always say that our only responsibility in life is acceptance. That's right? Cool. The old people, they choose the path, man. Whatever your higher power is, whatever your higher belief is, they choose the path. So you have to hand it over to them. When there's a tough situation, it's how you deal with that tough situation. What is this test? What is it? I'm doing it tough right now, but what is this test? It's going to reveal itself soon. I'm just going to be patient, hand it over, not worried about it too much. Just do the best I can right now. Yeah. It all works out. And if they give you that test or that lesson and you keep failing, they'll keep giving it to you until you pass. 100%, right? You know, so again, (laughs) why does this always keep happening to me? It's because you're not learning from it. Right, it's pretty simple. Yeah, that's that's probably the best quote so far. <laughs> <laughs> I'm using that one, all right. <laughs> yep. I'll ask you a couple quick questions, and then we'll yeah, you're right. End it, my yeah. way. You're right. Um, what would you? Well, obviously, knowing what you've been through, the whole growing up and having this anxiety, uh, suicide idealization from 13, bipolar, the drugs and alcohol the suicide attempt um, and the stuff of your children. We know you've been through a lot, but what would you say the quality of your life is like now? Man, I find gratitude in everything I do. That's awesome. Like my, my life could be a hell ton worse. You know, like I'm alive. I shouldn't be. Yeah. I travel the country every day of the week. 
right? The fact that I get to open my eyes and take a breath shows gratefulness. You know, the, I live a great quality of life, man. Yeah, yeah, I still do it. I still do it tough, but I don't sit and harp on about it. If I'm doing it tough, I do the work to get out of it, right? Because, you know, and again, here's something that challenges people's thoughts. When we're in these tough moments, we need people to help us. But who's the person who's going to help you the most? You are. You are. You got your own back. Because you know what? When your best mate has got his, he's got a date on Friday night with the hottest chick in town, he ain't there for you. Right? You're the only one who's got your back. Yeah. So in the tough times, we've got to stand up too. You know, and I, I get that, you know, we're, we are a little pretentious at times and, and we think, um, you know, we can't pull our own socks up and that sort of stuff. Well, yes, we can. Because there's going to be times in your life when you've got no other choice but to learn and to grow. So you've got to do that. That's cool, man. Um, what have you added to your life or removed from it to improve the quality of it? Uh, a conversation with a, um, a therapist uh, in, in Wagga changed my whole aspect of, of thinking. Right? Um, he said, because I was having some issues with a negative person in my life, um, and he said, here's what you do. Remove anything or anyone that's negative. If you've got to move towns, if you've got to change your number, Who's the one who's getting hurt in all this? Well, I am. So do what's good for you and remove anything and anyone that's having negative impact on your life. Because if you deserve to have the best, to be the best, and you're letting these negative influences in your own life, then that's you messing up, not them. Yeah, exactly. So when, when, the, the day I started to do that, you know, and, um, you know, I... I get um, sometimes that there's toxic people in our lives and we engage with them when we don't want to and then we walk away, you know, pulling our hair out because, ah, they got me again, you know, like we're just going to be stronger and just, you know, January 26th, Australia Day is a huge one for, for Aboriginal people in this country, right? It's a very hurtful time for Aboriginal people in this country. Yet I promised myself this January 26th, this Australia Day, I ain't engaging in no racism. I ain't engaging in no negative behavior because at the end of the day, the education's out there now. It ain't my job to educate people anymore. It's their job. If they want to be dumb and be left behind, so be it. Yeah, and just engaging in that negativity, man, law of attraction, you're just going to get what you put out. 100%. 100%, right? If you're, if, if you're waking up in a negative mindset, then that's what you're going to attract. Um, I guess last question with everything that you've been through, um, been through some pretty hectic stuff. How do you see yourself using that to help others? You just going to keep continuing down this route with the speaking or do you have some sort of higher purpose? Uh, who knows, man? Who knows? You know, I, I, uh, I'm a big believer in there's no such thing as the future. You know, we always plan for the future to be better and to be bigger and, you know, life, to do better would things. It would be amazing if people lived like that. <laughs> Man, there's no such thing as the future. Tomorrow might not even happen. 
You know, Donald Trump's in power of America. We could be all gone tomorrow. You know, it's... <laughs> you know, like, man, the only thing we've got as people is our past. Yeah. All right? We talk about having... And this has come from a fantastic conversation with one of my respected elders. Um, and he said, there's no such thing as the future. We don't even have the present. The only thing we've got is the past. And I said, what do you mean we don't have the present? And he said, we've only got a moment of presence and then in an instant it becomes the past. So everything that we have to learn to be a better person has already been done. All the smart things in our world, because our world is only getting worse because we're trying to recreate it. Now, all the smart ways of life with climate change, with, with eating, with with exercise, with everything. It's already being done. So we just got to connect to that. Yeah. You know, um, what happens for me as a person, I don't know. What happens for me as a, as a, with a business, do I have a vision? Yeah, I've got a, I've got a vision. It's to, it's to grow. It's to, um, I, I'm starting to do more and more uh, camps on country with young kids. Cool. Um, and, and, and adults as well, because it's our adults that are the ones who are hurting our kids, um, you know, not, not, you know, not physically or, or anything like that with abuse, um, just through our own traumas that we're carrying. So, um, yeah, just, 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 just grow, grow as a business. You know, I'd like a, a presence in, in every state because if I'm on the road, um, you know, 320 odd days a year, then there's only one of me and it's only getting busier. And the fact that, you know, it doesn't show and, and people say, you must be good at what you do because uh, you're, you're busy and you're getting more busy. No, that doesn't show that. What it shows is that the country's hurting. That's all it shows. You know, people, people talk about it in the mental health space. Can't wait! I'm having a bigger and better 2019. I'm I'm gonna be I'm gonna be bigger and, and reach more people and do amazing things. You know what? I'm trying to work myself out of a job because if if I'm having to go around and empower people to not take their own life, it means that the suicide rates are climbing. Yep. Right. So I'm trying to work myself out of a job. And I'll continue to do that every day. Well, you know, if, it, if I'm getting busier and bigger and, 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 and I'm exploding into the, all these new communities, then it just means that more people are hurting. Yeah. That's all. It means that we're not doing a good enough job. Um, I guess to wrap up, brother, I just want to acknowledge you for, first of all, taking the time to do this. I know you're a busy man, so thank you so much. But most importantly, for being someone with this sort of platform for opening up and being brave and sharing your message all over the country, um, all over the world, it's super powerful, it's super important, and I'm glad that there's someone like you doing this, especially with that Aboriginal connection, because I know your people need you 100%, my man. Here's the thing. All people need us. Yeah. Because our people are the longest cultural people on the planet. We are the very first civilization of people. So everyone needs to learn from that. You know, like us as Aboriginal people in Australia, we're the first people of this country. Everyone who lives in Australia, we're your people too. We're not different. 
it's just that we got a hell of a lot of knowledge that was dismissed for so many years. And start, let's start connecting to that, you know. And and, and even even our people, even our people are lost, you know. I ain't so I'm not, I ain't no spiritual guru. Even our people are lost. All right, so we gotta we gotta help each other connect. And we gotta help help each other uh, get back on a path and get back on track um, to living in a bigger and broader community with more love. Because if we don't have love, the opposite of love's hate. So if we don't have love, we've got more hate. And um, again, I'm I'm just about sharing love. If I'm honest. Um, getting people to respect each other. You know, all of my sessions are, are, are sessions that, that are based around five key aspects and key values that I've lived with uh, since I was a kid, living with love, care, respect, humility, and compassion. You know, awesome. showing empathy for people and, and caring for everything and everyone with spirit. Oh, well. Thank you so much, my man. It means the world that you did this. Absolutely does. And I hope Pleasure, you brother. Today. Pleasure, brother. Uh, if I can help anyone, um, get out of my website, uh, which I'm sure you'll share anyway, yep. www.joewilliams.com.au. Cool, I'll link it in the show notes, brother. You have a good day, eh? Take it easy, my man. See ya. Ciao.